Welcome to iGaming FM, the betting and gaming sector's talk radio show. This episode, our 30th, is the first since we passed 2,000 followers on LinkedIn. Thank you for that. It's also the first since last week's launch of the Hot Minute, which debuted with Phil Pearson of White Label Casinos making rude jokes at this presenter's expense. Thanks, Phil. Today, we have two tasty chunks of chat to serve up. The first from one of the established giants of the online casino sector, and the second from a relative upstart, albeit one with a rich heritage. So to light and wonder in a chat with the company's three regional leads from the US, UK and EU markets, namely Dana Jackal, Head of US Commercial, Lauren Caruana, MD for the UK, and Magdalena Podorska-Ocolo, who's MD for Europe. The three leaders quiz one another about their backgrounds, about work-life balance, and their differing market perspectives. In part two of today's pod, we talk to Dr. Ayol Laws, CPO at RubyPlay, about his globetrotting experience of the iGaming sector, his love of poker, and the impressive gains RubyPlay is making, not least a direct integration with PokerStars. Now, it feels like it's been a while, and I hope she's not too rusty, but finally, we welcome back, with a little guitar, Miss Eleanor Rose Lynch. Bringing both light and wonder to the pod, we welcome the company's three regional leads for the US, UK and Europe. Dana, Lauren and Magdalena. And it's Mags who starts us off. Hi everyone, my name is Magdalena. I'm the MD of Europe at Light & Wonder iGaming. Thank you so much for having me today to, to share a bit about my experience within iGaming. I'm also joined here by my colleagues and fellow regional MDs, Dana and Lauren. And I'm going to kick it off today by asking a question to Lauren, and then Dana will follow after, and just asking about uh, you know the journey and what brought you to the role. Thanks, Magdalena. Hi, everyone. Uh, Lauren Caruana. I am Managing Director for the UK Business here at Light & Wonder iGaming. I actually am, I would say, like a fairly like a baby when it comes to the iGaming industry, not in life, unfortunately. But I joined outside of the industry just over three years ago now. I've got a really strong background in data, customer analytics, and like building customer relationships and partnerships. So actually a lot of transferable skills as far as the gaming industry is concerned. And I've been a great foundation to really accelerate my path in iGaming. So I joined as an account director, as I said, about three years ago, was you know, privileged to kind of like learn from the ground up, managing some of the UK's biggest customers, such as Bally's or GameSys as, as, as they were then. You know, and as time passed, things just moved super quickly, right? As the gaming industry does anyway. So took on more of a leadership role, managing some of the team, and then, you know, was lucky enough to be offered the opportunity to lead our UK business as, as MD about a year ago now. Thoroughly enjoying it, as well as working with, with you ladies. Dana, how about you? Dana Jackal here. I am the head of our US commercial org. And believe it or not, this was my my first company, the first place I ever worked outside of college. I started here back in 2009 when it was WMS Gaming on the land-based side. I was in a rotational management program where you go through different departments, try out different things, and I ended up in the sales org for gaming. I went through a variety of roles there. I moved to Oklahoma for five years. I moved to Colorado for five years. And then I ended up getting the opportunity to come over to the digital side during COVID, which as you guys know, was just a, a a super hyper growth 
uh, moment for us, really great opportunity. I came in managing our enterprise customers and then had the opportunity just in the beginning of this year to transition into a leadership role for the U.S. commercial team as our boss, Bob Hayes, got promoted to CCO. So really awesome for me. <laughs> Mags, your, your turn on this one. My journey in, in iGaming started 14 years ago, quite extensive considering the iGaming industry is probably no more than like 25 years old or, you know, <laughs> pushing into the 20s somewhere. I started off in Canada. I was based in Vancouver at the time and I was working for technical systems testing, compliance, uh, compliance test house, which was then acquired by GLI. Gaming Laboratories International. Then I was with GLI for over five years doing business development and regulatory development and had a really exciting opportunity there because I was able to work with operators, suppliers, governments. So I think as a first kind of step into the industry, that gave me a really excellent visibility and exposure into how the industry works, what kind of license you need, what kind of requirements you need to operate somewhere. So it was a really great kind of stepping stone. And then from there, I of course stayed true to the <laughs> my commercial side and went into NetEnt, Net Entertainment at the time, which is now Evolution Games to lead the sales there as a sales manager. Did that for about three years and then moved into a live casino with Authentic Gaming, where I held multiple roles, started off as a head of account management and B2B marketing. And then, you know, a few years later, I was chief commercial officer. And that was the last post that I had in, in Authentic Gaming. And then, uh, of course, we came into the Light and Wonder family, which was a super exciting you know, endeavor and next step for, for Authentic Gaming's journey. And then from there, I transitioned into the MD Europe role, taking on a kind of wider role overlooking uh, the, the region of EU for, for all of Light and Wonder. So it's been great so far and yeah, really exciting place to be right now working alongside you guys. So ladies, what are the challenges that we face on a daily or ongoing basis? I'm sure there's lots. Dana, tell me more. So I think that we all know this, we work in like a super high intensity role in a pretty high intensity industry, hyper growth, constantly moving, constantly changing. The hardest part of that, I guess, is managing the work-life balance, which I think most people probably can relate to, but I have a young son who's almost two. You know, sometimes you feel like you're living four days in one, your time with your family, your time working, your time with your family, and then sometimes your time working again at night. Making sure to make time for family, friends, myself, as well as all of the really incredible things that we do day in, day out, uh, in and out of the office. Amen to that. What about you, Meg? From my side, definitely echoing some of your side there. Uh, on a daily basis, I think a, a big part of it is, you know, just working in this extremely fast-paced industry and uh, extremely fast-paced business and, you know, continuously wanting to ensure that we are on point with the strategy, that we're focusing on the right thing. On the top of that, just on an ongoing basis, which kind of ties into that prioritization factor would be just juggling the time in the best way possible and making sure that I can always find time for, for the people around me within my organization and my team, making sure that they're getting the best out of working closely with me and likewise, you know, the, the reverse. So yeah, just taking a step back sometimes and making sure that I can find that time to really dedicate to people around me so that we can all grow together in the best way possible. And you? 
I hear that. I hear that so, so much. And it actually bleeds into to, to my one as well, which was was around focus. And, and I could kind of was thinking about that's, you know, focus exactly as you've just said about, you know, from our people perspective, we're obviously all, you know, again, privileged to be in, in leadership positions and, and, you know, have amazing teams, but also, you know, wanting to lead across the business and set that example and, you know, really focus on those needle movers that as a leader are going to be making that impact for our people, right? I think that that's something that, you know, just really weighs on my mind uh, a lot and something that I just want to be super conscious of, as well as then the business side of things as well. Like, again, we've all in the in the great position that we've got so many things that we could be doing. So it's really just pulling it all back to focus on those strategic initiatives that, that are going to mean that we're delivering that growth. And last but not least, guys, what are the opportunities that you are most excited about in your respective regions? Mags, let's start with you. Yeah, so in EU, there is a lot happening. But I think one of the things that I'm you know, super excited about is that we're really running with a kind of regional strategy for the first time in 2023, where we not look at Europe as a, a kind of big region in itself, but break down our key markets and start really focusing product development on specific market needs and market demographics, which should essentially put us on the front foot. And not only on the, on the product side, but uh, and, and on the roadmaps, but also operationally, how we're doing things, also how we're reporting in on the regions. So really kind of shifting how, how we're looking at the specific countries within Europe. And I think that's going to be a big game changer for us. So super exciting to, to be rolling that out this year. Also, the big opportunities is we're pretty privileged at Light and Wonder. We've, we've been around for a long time. We have really great partnerships and blessed to be working with some really great brands out there. So I think just a continuous like deepening of these relationships and you know the, the commercial teams being able to further strengthen those relationships now with all of the power of our portfolio, all of the companies that have come into the Light and Wonder family. We really do have you know everything at our fingertips to yield success for our partners. And so it's just a matter of, you know, really deepening that and knowing exactly what to go after. And I find that extremely exciting in, in such a fiercely competitive marketplace that's such as Europe. Go for it, Lauren. Yeah, I was just going to say, UK single market, e- easy peasy. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish. Um, I mean, our biggest challenge is also our opportunity, I think, from a UK perspective. I mean, a market that's rapidly changed so much over the last couple of years with COVID changing, you know, the player landscape and, you know, regulation and more impending regulation and super fragmented market, so many players in there. And so the journey that Light and Wonder I gaming has been on over the last 18 months, two years around M&A just presents the most fantastic opportunity for us. The diversification of our own studio portfolio is just so exciting. Acquiring studios such as Elk and Lightning Box that just bring a different flavor of content from our own. You know, Elk smashing it month after month, game after game. Fantastic to see. Having acquired Authentic Gaming, who, you know, just take us into the a new vertical with Live Casino and just so much opportunity. So, so exciting, you know, such an exciting sector. I cannot wait to see okay. what we deliver with that across this year and, and, and beyond. And then with Playzido, finally, obviously with their platform capabilities, the way that they're changing, you know, like our landscape of partner studios, like rapidly, new, exciting studios, Atlantic Digital, Avatar UX, you know, just to name a few, there's so many that customers are getting super excited about it. And 
being able to support that network of partners to scale and grow across the UK market. Just fantastic. Can't wait. Let's do it. I could not agree more, Lauren. I think the opportunity that sits around our ability to aggregate content for you in the UK, but also for us in the US is just, it's tremendous. Obviously in the US, it's like one big country, many, many markets inside of it. And it's growing, growing, growing. It would be incredible to have some of these new states legalized, you know, like really looking forward to see what's going to happen in New York, Illinois, but in the current landscape and in the markets that we are operating at the moment, I think probably our biggest opportunity is around becoming a market leader in iOS and on mobile. In the US, approximately like 70 to 80% of revenue goes through iOS alone. So really becoming a leader in that space. We've had some new tech initiatives recently, how we are evolving our iOS SDKs, not to get too technical here, but really just being in a position in this to, to be a market leader and to take on this share of the business, there's so much room there for us to grow. And I really look forward to seeing what we do, you know, with the increased competition from our providers and our operator and for our operator partners, it's just so important to be number one in this space. And, and that's our goal here. I think across everything we do at Light and Wonder, can we be the best partner to our operators? Tremendous opportunity. Next up, we have Ruby Play's Ayal Lars chatting to Al Lewis Phillips. As you'll hear, Ayal is quite the storyteller, beginning with a slightly random recollection of his broadcast debut back in Israel. Who just thought it was too good to leave out? You remind me of the first time I got to be on TV. It's a crazy story. This kids show in Israel. I was working with donkeys on the mountains of Jerusalem. For some reason, they decided to bring a couple of donkeys that week to the studio. And for some reason, they picked me to bring those two donkeys. Everything went great. I mean, the donkeys were stubborn and it was really hard to get them on the truck. And it was really hard to get them out of the truck. It was really hard to get them into the studio and the lights. And I had this broom in case the donkeys would crap all over the place and everything. And I was so prepared. And then the camera went on. The interviewer was like a local Israeli celebrity, very famous. And I wasn't phased by it. And she said, Eyal, are you excited? There's going to be a million people watching you. And I went, ah, what? I don't remember kind of what happened. I think at some point the donkeys started freaking out and moving from each other. <laughs> and so to the main chat with Eyal, Lewis Phillips sets it up nicely. Eyal, thanks for joining iGaming FM. It's great to have you on board. We have to start with understanding why you're referred to as Dr. Al, and I don't think we've had a doctor on iGaming FM before, so please enlighten our audience as to how that came about. Yeah, well, I've got a PhD in mathematics and computer science. I defended my thesis in University of Auckland in New Zealand. To be honest, it's kind of a funny story, but how I end up in University of Auckland and I end up doing a PhD in mathematics, it's not quite what I was planning. I guess I always knew that I would want to do something sciencey, and I consider myself a traveler, you know, like my whole life. I'm originally from Israel, but I've been living the majority of my life now and definitely the majority of my adult life in you know, many different countries and been experiencing lots of different cultures. So it was something kind of like that. At some point, I decided I want to go to India to study music. Then by accident, I end up in New Zealand a few, like a couple of years later. Then I decided that I want to go to Antarctica because you can go to Antarctica if you participate in the Auckland University applied mathematics program 
And I was so psyched, you know, like a trip to Antarctica. It's like, like, you know, flying to the moon, you know, something like that. So I was doing my degree in applied mathematics and I've done uh, computer science as well because I wanted to have a job when I get back from Antarctica, you know, like you can't really just uh, live on stories. At some point, I've met my supervisor. I've taken a course in theoretical computer science, specifically in, in graph theory, Professor Yosef Siran. It was just so inspiring. You know, it was it's just all of a sudden you meet someone and really they really change your trajectory. And for me, throughout my whole life and the different choices I met was always about people. You know, the people I've met, the kind of collaborations I got out of meeting those people. And that's really what drove my decisions along the way. So, you know, meeting someone like Yosef, that eventually led for me changing my direction from applied math to pure math and doing theoretical computer science. And I find myself doing a PhD in mathematics and computer science. And and it's not like I have this big dream of becoming a a doctor, but here I am. Um, I think that for me, it's always been this funny thing because, you know, like my kids uh, would say, hey, you're not a real doctor, daddy, right? you you're not a real doctor. No, I, I have a PhD in mathematics and computer science. And it's kind of funny, you know, like when I just defended my thesis, which is a kind of a big stage, you defend your thesis, and then you walk out and you defended it and everyone started calling you doctor. It's so cool. You know, I, I, it was a thing. Then I bought the plane back to Sydney and I was thinking, should I tell them to start addressing me as a doctor? And I was thinking, maybe I should do it. Maybe I shouldn't. And halfway to the flight, they go, uh, do we have a doctor on board? Uh, and I was thinking, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so happy I didn't I didn't ask them to admit me as a doctor because that would have been so embarrassing. You know, like, hey, hey, Dr. Lodz, please come here. We have a guy with a heart attack. And I'm like, uh-huh, um, mm, uh, X square plus, you know, anyway. So that's how I end up as a doctor of mathematics. It's all about mathematics. And obviously the, the fundamental process of a slot game is understanding mathematics. So it, it makes absolute sense to sort of have a background in that and translating it so I don't think it's been many people's pathway into the industry but it certainly makes sense from sort of the scientific process and constructing a a slot game so just very quickly just for those who who may not be aware of your your background but you've been at quite a few gaming companies in the industry before joining RubyPlay you were at Playty and with other firms as well in the industry. Before I joined gaming, I was actually working in the financial industry, like so many mathematicians. And one thing that we did to learn more about trading and decision-making and trading was to literally study poker, like poker, but very seriously. We studied poker, how to play poker. And, and studying poker was, was fascinating. It was a fascinating thing. And that really got my interest, you know, about games and the kind of psychology that, that happens in games. And that got me into the gaming industry. Australia is an amazing place for the gaming industry, but Sydney is, is really the center for so many of those companies. And I was very fortunate to get a job at the time with a company called EBIT that worked in collaboration with a company called WMS that then throughout different series of measures of an acquisition, I ended up spending some time with Invali, Shufflemaster, and then in Scientific Games. And I think that I was very, very lucky because through that changing employers while not changing my seat. <laughs> I was working for essentially the same company, but got to move one place to another and worked with, with some really big names in the industry. And that's where I've picked up a lot of my knowledge. People like Jennifer Sinyu, who did 88 Fortunes, and Two Farm, who did Quad Shot. People who, who, who really are... Um, uh, are legend, legends in the, uh, of the industry. And it's so great working with people like that, you know, see how they think and picking up tips from them. After a few years of doing that, I've got in touch with the founders of House of Fun, who actually, some of them were from Sydney as well, who are also the founders of RubyPlay. And that's how I ended up working for Platica here in Sydney. 
became a VP of product in Slotomania, which is still the largest social casino game in the world. There again, I was so lucky to work with some very, very smart people and got to learn a lot, not just on the side of, you know, the games of chance, but just that, that kind of a knowledge that I brought with, uh, with myself and the team that I built here from experts, but also, you know, people were experts in monetization, people were experts in gauging players and live ops, the whole ecosystem of large games and how you manage games, you know, people like Ofer Kinberg and Mickey Sonino and Matan Levin. That's been really a, a huge learning experience uh, for me. I've done that for about four years, I guess. And then I've taken on GM ship in Montreal, leading the team that created WSOP for Platica. What we did then was actually shifting from doing those social casino style game into doing more of casual games. And I think that that's, that's a really interesting point that essentially slot machines are like any other games. I would say it in reverse that every game at the core are slot machines. If you really understand the mathematics and the psychology of how games work, random reward schedules, you know, the operant conditionings effect you create for your players, that engaging experiences, essentially these are the same psychologies. These are the same designs that make slot machines work. And I think that gaming became as big as it did when game designers started employing those kind of techniques that were in the slot industry for almost a century by the time that it also, you know, you can see that now practically the same psychology you'll have driving games like Fortnite or Nintendo games, any game really, slot machines in disguise. And I, for one, don't say it as if something evil at play. I, I really think that this is a really interesting thing about how we humans interact with all of those systems and how those systems are really at the core of how we view the world and how games create these really nice environments, simulated environments for ourselves to experience different experiences in those simulated places. And now you find yourself at Ruby Play, obviously signing a major deal with PokerStars, global online operator brand in the industry. And it must be pretty exciting at the moment. And I know there's a lot of other stuff behind the scenes going on in terms of targeting the market and things like that. I joined RubyPlay a little while ago, but I known the founders of RubyPlay for many, many years. As I said, those are the same founders of House of Fun. And for us at RubyPlay, our core is to really bring those experiences that are highly relevant to American players and all that to the industry. We close a major, major deal with PokerStars. Last night was our first live drill players at PokerStars. It's been a phenomenal night for us. Very, very exciting. That's the result of countless hours of work by many, many people. For us, that direct integration to PokerStars, is, is, this is a real feather in our cap. It's a big deal for a company like Ruby, still new in the industry, to close a deal like this with PokerStars. Um, we're you know, super, super excited. What is it then about Ruby Play content, the games that you produce? Why is it going to be appealing to sort of the big operator brands and particularly to, to players across the globe? What sort of sets you apart from the competition? I think that what we bring with us in RubyPlay is not just the experience of creating content for land-based players. It's this real wholesome understanding of a few different industries, you know, like the experience coming from creating land-based, obviously, games from a few people of the team. Also creating social games for players, mostly for, you know, American-based players and online players. 
And I think that the understanding that we actually have to operate in a global market, you know, make product that would be appealing to as many players as we can. And I think that the fundamentally, the core experiences that make a slot machine good are very similar, like, you know, very similar with, with different players. What we do is we take it very seriously, you know, so when we want to create a specific machine to a specific market, we really spend our time learning about the culture of that market, learning about the background of the players learning about the kind of games that operators notice that are working really well for them and really trying to create or suggest something is that's very relevant. Uh, Ruby has a fairly large library of games and still for every game that we make, we really take the time to make it relevant and suggest games that are relevant to those different operators so we can actually perform fairly well with these different needs of the global market. And obviously, yeah, the, the spoke elements of what you offer these sort of companies is pretty key, I imagine, in this day and age with tons of slot companies to choose from, games to choose from. But is this where the industry's heading now? Is it now becoming a time when it's not just about taking X slot from a company? Is it about that capability to produce bespoke content where we're heading as an industry at the moment? I can say for us in Ruby, we really try to create a personalized solution for the different operators. So we we don't view it as some kind of one-size-fits-all where different operators can choose which background or symbol they want. We really have these two fundamentals principle we believe in. The first principle is that the operators know better than anyone about their brand and their IP and their players. And the second principle is that we really understand how to tailor a unique gaming experience for that brand the operators present. We really try to create a relationship of trust between ourselves and the operators and really to create something that will be unique for them, for their needs and for their players, where we try to create a clear roles and responsibilities. Like we, we don't intervene in how their brand is and how they view the brand and we'd like the operators to trust us on the area of tailoring a unique experience for that brand. What we can see is that our bespoke games to date are very, very unique. Each bespoke game that we make is unique to that operator. There's nothing else that looks like it. So, you know, when you're looking at the bespoke games that we've created for PokerStars that hasn't been released yet, they are very, very unique. They have that PokerStars, you know, freshness and young appeal because this is PokerStars. That feel of the PokerStar brand, we really respect and we created games catered specifically to that brand. When we worked on the bespoke with Holland Casino, they have a deal, a license with Oral Divisi, and we created a specific game for them where you get to choose your team. And depending on which team in the soccer league there, then your game is all going to be painted with those colors of those teams. Now, by doing that, by making it personalized like that, I think that we bring something really unique to the table. On our end, doing a bespoke for any operator is a pretty expensive exercise because essentially you're making a game that costs you like any other game that you make, but instead of taking it on a global launch, you're actually taking it to just one specific operator. So we really had to sit down and think of how can we scale up our operation, but in terms of efficiencies, in order to actually just have that kind of a output where we can support those operators, not only the large operators, also medium-sized operators, and create those unique experiences for them, but at the same time still cater for the global market. And I'm very proud to say that team, together with us in management, coming up with that strategy really delivered, and we could already see this thing happening with a few operators, which is really amazing. I look forward to trying those spec games on PokerStars when they eventually come out and any others that you've got in the pipeline. But what else have you got 
can you give us a sneak preview of uh, in terms of new game launches and things that are happening at Ruby Play? I think that two really interesting projects that we're about to launch uh, sitting on two different sides of a spectrum, I would say, of the kind of games. Like I think that there's in the industry there's younger players who are uh, more after this ca- more casual experience. They want games that are simple and easy to understand, that are more volatile and fast-paced. Whereas you have traditional slot players that after things that are a lot more core slot, that are very complex mechanics. Now, for those complex slot players, you know, the traditional slot players, those who have been playing slots for many years, if they get those more simple games, those casual games, they might not connect to them. They might even feel that those are not very engaging. Whereas on the other side, for younger players, getting a complex hold and respin with a jackpot picks uh, systems and all that, they would find those very, very hard to connect to. It's like jumping to the deep end too quickly. So on those two edges of that spectrum, we have one game that we're releasing very soon. It's called Cash Rush, which is essentially a one-line, three-reel slot. And it's very, very casual. And not only that, that we're actually working now with fairly large influencers with you know large crowds in the tens of millions on those projects, which I believe would connect really well to that kind of younger crowd, younger influencers, you know, the kind of community that can share screens, simple, you know, simple screens of game experiences with each other. Whereas on the other hand, we're coming with another gaming series called Immortal Ways, which is fairly complex game mechanic, 10,000 ways, meeting, hold and respin, meeting, wheel spin. And those games are a lot more complex. And, and I'm super, super curious and to see how on both ends of the spectrum, those would work. And I have to say that I expect that for a very young crowd, those complex games like Immortal Ways, I believe, are less likely to hit the sweet spots, whereas vice versa, you know, with Cash Rush, I suspect, is less likely to hit the sweet spot with very traditional players. But as a global company, we really have to innovate this way and try different things and respect that kind of spectrum and try to create new generations of players, create content for those new generations of players that want things that are a bit more casual, like experiences that are more casual, but still core gambling games of chance. Thanks again to all contributors to this episode, to guests Dana, Lauren, Magdalena and Ayle, and to Square and Mies Lewis for asking the questions. It feels as if the last few weeks since IS have been the calm before the storm that is a flurry of events in May and June, from New Jersey to Malta to Canada and back to Malta. Wishing safe travels to all those attending those SBC and iGaming Next events, and as ever, thanks for listening. (laughs) 